Hey guys, it's Tats here from Castagra, and welcome to the Specified Growth Podcast. Each week, I talk to leaders and experts about how to overcome adversity, grow massive organizations, and how to create meaningful change in the building materials and codings industry. Today's guest is Carolyn Cromie. She's the owner and managing partner at the Cromie's Law Firm. Well, Carolyn, thank you. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. So I came across your information. You reached out and I looked at, well, the first thing I did is I looked at your social media stuff and I noticed you have this book, which I love the title, Quit Getting Screwed. Where did that come from? I came from watching my clients get screwed over and over again. And I, actually, what had happened is that throughout my legal career for the last 16 years, I'm, I represent contractors and material suppliers. And I have clients that would be on the end of a project and then they would get in trouble. And I would defend them in a lawsuit or move forward on a lawsuit and, and we would lose time and time again. And not because they did a bad job, but because they signed a bad contract. And I realized that I'm going to be most helpful telling you on the front end what not to sign and what to tell you what's in those contracts. Because after you sign it, I can't help you. Like, like I say, my, my motto is the first rule about contracts is there are no rules. And so there's no set of rules protecting you. And so I really think, especially in the subcontractor world, the discussion needs to be had about how one-sided and dangerous these contracts are. Oh, interesting. Okay. Maybe let's start off by some of the things that you run across most often in terms of mistakes. Well, one of the biggest mistakes that I see is, especially if you're new to like commercial construction, and just across the board, if you're, there's two kinds of contractors. You're either, you have your contract with someone signing yours, which is usually residential, or you're in the commercial world and you're signing somebody else's. And in the commercial world, a contractor submits a bid and says, hey, I'm going to do this work for X dollars. And they get back a contract and they assume that the work in the contract is the same as the bid. And it's not. It never is. It might be slightly different. It might be a big difference. It might not. There's going to be some differences in there. And so you need to go and look. Because whatever you sign in the contract, that's what you're hired to do. It doesn't matter what your bid says. Because I have contractors come in all the time. They get a a letter from their GC saying, hey, I need to come out here and do this. Or you're going to be in default. And they're like, I didn't bid that. I have to tell them it doesn't matter what's in your bid. Because your bid, if you sign a contract, does not become part of that document. So. You know, making sure you know the difference between the bid that you give and the scope that's in the contract. That's a huge, huge thing that, especially if you're new to the industry, that can be hard Mm -hmm. to make sure you know the difference between. And the other thing is like, be careful when you put a bid out there, make sure it's correct. Because once you put it out there, it can be accepted and you'll be held to do that scope of work for that dollar amount. And, you know, you got to understand, like, I come from this place where things are dangerous. And most projects go off 90% of the time, you don't have a problem. But it's the consequences that can happen when you sign a bad contract when you do. So that's one of the biggest areas that I see that there's a misunderstanding in the industry. You're not hired to do your bid, you're hired to do your scope. Yeah, that's very interesting. You mentioned that I think you're in the business of pointing out issues and you just talked about 90% of the times it goes well. How do you, I mean, are you generally a positive person? Or, yeah, I'm, I'm a true optimist. And that's why I'm out here saying, because I, I really think that this industry 
can have so much more to give. I mean, I, I think because you get screwed once and if it's, and if you get screwed big enough, then you're out of business. But I, and I think that has a lot to do. I think everybody who's in the industry, especially subcontractor materials suppliers has been screwed at least once. And so people aren't staying in the industry because it's so rough. And, and because you have such a huge risk of loss, right? As opposed to a normal nine to five, you just go to work, you get paid as opposed to putting everything on the line to go to work and sign one of these contracts, you do something wrong. It, it could literally take your business. But I think that it doesn't have to be that way. It hasn't always been that way. And it doesn't have to be that way. But in order for it to not be that way, we got to stand up and we got to know what we're signing and make sure that we don't sign something that, that could really hurt our business. Mm. What do you say to someone that's like struggling as a business? Their bid gets uh, accepted. There's a contract and they feel they need to sign it and opposed to negotiate or clarify it. I mean, what do you tell those people that are kind of like, I feel like they're signing stuff out of fear of loss. I think that happens across the board. And you got to understand where, where lawyers come from is that when we're hired by our client to do something, to write something, we are going to write like the best thing for our client. But we do that thinking that there's going to be a negotiation. And so over what I think over the course of decades is that that's been happening. People were afraid to rock the boat and just signed it. And so they never got negotiated. And so they're all one-sided. I think you come in, you get a contract, it needs to be negotiated, right? Like I said, in the Subcontractor Institute is getting ready to launch on the 7th where you can upload your contract and have it reviewed. I think there's expedited for a day. And then the long time turnaround is five days. And I'm going to go through and I'm going to highlight those things for you that you need to be weary of. And like, all right, hey, there's a pay one pay clause here. Here's what this means. And push back, right? And it's not. And, and right now, with the way construction is, we have the authority. Labor is needed. Good contractors are needed. You don't have to sign a contract you don't understand to go to work. And I'll tell you, you have someone in your office and we can go through this like two or three times, you'll know what to look for. It's always the same things, but a different way. And we just <laughs> got to go through and find them. And, and after you do it a couple of times, it, it's really easy. You know, you're looking for these things and they're going to be in there. Yeah. They're going to be in any contract that you sign. What are the few things that, that you come? All right. So the big one is the bid versus scope. Then you have pay when pay clauses, which basically says if you're being hired from a general contractor, that the general contractor doesn't have to pay you until they're paid by the owner, which means that's something you have no control over, right? You can do the best job, be early in finishing, submit your pay app, and then something that you have no control over has got to happen before you get paid. And what that does is it puts 100% of the risk on the subcontractor. And so, you know, at Subcontractor Institute, I have some ways that we can split that risk. I know GC, you don't want to take the whole risk, but let's split it. And so that's another big one because if you sign a pay when paid clause contract, be ready to be prepared to cash flow the whole amount of the contract because that could potentially happen, mm. right? So you have that. Another one is termination and default clauses. Current situation in these, in these contracts is there's a termination for convenience clause, which means you can be fired for any reason or no reason at all, which I try to take those out just because or make them mutual, right? GC can fire you for no reason. But you can't, once you sign that contract, you're on the hook to do the work. So it's not really fair. And what happens is, well, I see one of two things, is that they find somebody to do the work cheaper. So they just terminate you before you even start. Or they terminate you wrongfully. 
Like they didn't give you the notice of default. And they're like, oh, it doesn't matter. I just terminated for convenience. So all it is, is it's an out for the general contractor. And so I try to get that one crossed out, if not at least made mutual. Yeah. The other thing that I see, and I think this wouldn't take much pushback on contractors, on subcontractors parts to get rid of it is, and every subcontract I read, they incorporate, meaning you're legally bound to the terms of the prime contract, which is the contract between the owner and the general. And you have never even seen that document. And so you say, hey, I want to see it at the very least. If, you know, I try to take it out because everything you should be responsible should be just in your contract and like the specs and everything that go with that project with your scope. You shouldn't be held responsible to some contract you've never seen or you have to request a copy of it to get it. That's just, that's just not fair or right. And I think if we push back on that, we could get rid of that one fairly easy. What it is, is a lawyer was drafting and they're like, well, in case I miss something, we're going to, it's a catch-all and it doesn't really need to be in there. Another thing that I've been seeing recently too is, and it's usually on the first two pages, it's called the reasonably inferred clause. And what it says is that, yes, there's a specs, yes, there's scope. But if I, general contractor, could reasonably infer you should have done it, then you have to do it. Now, that one across the board is coming out on any contract I see because it's just an open checkbook for somebody to say, yeah, I thought you should do it. So now you got to do it and you're not going to get paid any extra. And so these are the things that are creeping up in these contracts that, man, like I said, most of them go out with a hitch. But if they go, if, the, if it goes wrong, the project goes wrong, you do something wrong. They turn that contract over to a lawyer and they'll be like, oh my gosh, I hit the jackpot. I can just do whatever I want and hurt these people because that's what's in there, right? What's another big one? Oh, change orders. You need signed change orders. Make sure whatever provision is in there that you follow. And if it's too strenuous, like you can only get approved change orders by bill on Thursdays at three o'clock. Probably want to change that up a little bit. So just more depending on what's in the contract. Another big one. Oh that is misunderstood a lot is termination. When you are actually terminated, most guys think they can just walk the project and that's it. That's all, all that ever happened. That's not. First off, you're not going to get paid for the work that you're done, that you, the work that you've done so far. And then whoever hired you is going to hire somebody else to do that work. And you promise to do that work for a certain price. And if it ends up costing them more to do that work, you owe them the difference. Because you signed a contract saying you do that. And so I've seen that take, I've seen that put a company out of business. They couldn't afford to do the job anymore and, and they walked and they were out of business and it, it's too bad. And that's what I'm saying. All these things in here, they just signed the contract. They're like, oh, I'm sure there's nothing in here that can hurt me or they were afraid and signed it anyways. But, and, and that's the kind of thing I'm, there's, there's no reason it's got to be this way. Yeah, that makes sense. Huh. Good, good. So, what is the most, I don't know. I mean, you, you talked about the common stuff you see. Mm -hmm. What is the most obscure and funny or interesting thing you've ever seen? Well, you know, I, I get some funny ones. And it always comes down to like, it's a small project. I'm doing something for a friend. Do I really need to have a contract? And I don't care if it's a one-page handwritten contract. You need one to, to describe what you're doing. The funny one that I have right now is my client was is a commercial roofer. And he was doing a roof for one of his clients, a commercial roof. And he's like, hey, my roof at home needs to be redone. Can, can I get a, a price to do that, but do it for cheap? And he's like, oh, okay, I got this great deal. I can go get these shingles that they don't make anymore. And you can't get them anymore. The, you know, 
and we'll do your roof and you just pay me labor. And they didn't have a contract. And so he goes and gets these discontinued shingles. And literally it's like seven different colors of blue. And his roof is like zebra print. And he's like, of course, the owner's like, yeah, no, that's not what I, that's not what I ordered. That's not what you were supposed to do. And so my guy, of course, has to pay to re-roof his, his house because there's nothing in writing saying, yeah, I'm going to accept this zebra roof. And so having a contract, whatever you have one as basic is, is required. And here's the thing. It doesn't have to be a bunch of legal ease to be effective. Basically, you're drafting your own contract. Have it be something that you can understand so well that you can explain to your client, right? The main thing is have a scope of work, be clear on what you're doing. And if you're going to use special shingles, make sure you put that in there. Because if he would have had a contract that said, yes, and we'll be using discontinued shingles that are going to be different colors, then he wouldn't have had to pay to redo the roof. Yeah. But something in writing. And the smaller the job, the more important it is. Just, I mean, legally to collect your money, you don't need one. But practically, it's nearly impossible to do that without something in writing. Because you're going to say the deal is one thing and they're going to say it's another thing. And then it's just going to go on like that. And you'll never get it. It'll be too, way too expensive to get to any resolution without a contract. So I mean, essentially, it's communication. It's managing of expectations, really. Communication that manages expectations. Because I promise you, whoever is hiring you is not an, is, doesn't know what you do as well as you do. And so they have a completely different expectation than you do. You know, on schedule, on what the work's going to, on what, what Brene Brown says, what does done look like? What does done look like to you? And that's what you need to put in your contract. And then make sure to exclude anything they might accidentally think is included. Just because I've seen that, especially if you're a roofer or a remodel and you dig into something and you find something that needs to be replaced that you didn't count on. I know it's unreasonable that they would think that you would find that, but they do. And so you got to say, yes, I'm an expert. I'm really good at what I do, but I don't know what I'm going to find when I tear into things. And so if something happens, here's what we're going to do. We're going to have a conversation about it. I'm going to tell you how much it costs and how much your options, what your options are, and then we're going to decide. So whatever situation you're in is clear communication and expectation, especially mm. contracts. Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, you've been running a law practice for a very long time. It's one mm-hmm. thing to advise people. It's another thing to run a business. What have you learned running a business? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and that's just, it's, just like, it's just like everybody else, right? Whatever you do and you're really good at, you're never taught how to run a business. And so I learned the hard way, just like everybody else, that client actually wants to send it. And you have to send an invoice to get paid. And I see this rot too with my, with my contractor clients. They're like, well, I did the work and they're supposed to pay me, but they didn't. I was like, well, did you send them an invoice? Did you ask? Yes, they know they need to pay you, but they're not sure exactly when. So asking for payment is one. Oh, managing people. That one is, that's taken me a lot to learn. And a lot with that is communication as well, because early on in my career, I would just like expect people to know things. And then I get mad when they didn't, and I wouldn't say anything. And they would just, I would just eventually blow up and fire them. And so I've come a long way and having the hard conversations about what you expect, but coming from a place where, and I can't remember whose book this is, but I, I read it. He has a couple of books coming from a place of my intention is this. So you start out the hard conversation with, my intention is for you to be a successful team member here. And here's what that looks like. And I need you to do this. And I really do try to give everybody a fair chance. After what, about 16 years of running a business, kind of learned 
long and the hard way, but I think we have a good team now. And, but it's like everything else that takes work daily. And there's so much of being a business owner that isn't the actual, like for me, practicing law, or that isn't actually, you know, roofing. It's working on the business instead of in it. And I know that's a, it's a complex thought. And when somebody said that to me like 10 years ago, I was like, first off, what the hell does that mean? And second, I have no more time. I, I, I can't do anything else. And what you don't understand is if you will work on your business, you'll actually end up having more time because you make streamlined processes. People are in charge of things. It just, it just runs a better business. When did, you really, when did that really sink in? And when did you get that? Let's see. Well, I, I was told like five or six years ago, and probably in the last two years, it really sunk in. And just because taking a look at everything I do and how I run my firm is so different than any other firm. But it's what it takes to keep the doors open. You know, I bill my clients every two weeks. They got to pay me every two weeks. And that's what I use to pay payrolls. So everybody gets paid. But really, what it takes is really being intentional about where you're going and having a direction. Don't be wrong. You can go to work every day and just work hard every day. But if you want to put some wheels on that, I have, have a goal to 10 times my gross revenue in the next five years. And then putting, looking at the things you can do to do that. I need, you know, I need more people. I need better marketing and to be out there and to be in t- and all of those little things that's that's working on the business right the marketing the you know the improved contracts and reading a contract before you sign it all of that is working on the business anything you do besides what your business actually does either proofing practice of law whatever it is is working on the business and the more you do that you'll give yourself more time to do the thing you're actually good at too in my experience you sound like you you spent a lot of time personal development. It sounds like you read a lot. I mean, what are some of the things you do to to get to where you want or be more intentional? Uh, I think I think I read a lot of books. I listen to a lot of podcasts, and you hear a lot of great ideas. And you could take like I read a ton of books or listen to an Audible when I'm driving. The most recent one was Who Not How, and that really opened my mind to Wow, I really can't do everything, and I'm going to cripple my business if I think that I can. And sometimes, was that Dan Sullivan? Yeah. yeah. That's a great book. And Think and Grow Rich, another, all of those I listen to. But the perspective of you don't know what you don't know. <laughs> right? And you're like, I tried to manage my own marketing department for years and didn't do very well. That's because I'm not a marketer. I'm an attorney. But knowing that here's the end results, here's what I'm looking for, and then finding the right person to do that. And so now I have a great marketing team I don't know most of what they do, but they get results. And so, (laughs) you know, I help write articles. I do the things that I'm good at, but there's just, and then another thing is set that goal and then make yourself little baby goals on how to get there. So like mine was 10 times revenue. And one of the biggest ways I was going to get there is to write a book. And so I wrote the book and it launched and it really has with my marketing department helped me. And at the same time, released a very important message that no one else is saying. You know what I'm saying? That these contracts that are out there are poisonous, right? And they, and they are. And no one's willing to say, no one's willing to call them what they are, so far as I've seen. Now, I have, there's other companies that review, which I think is great. Like I said, the more you do it, the easier it'll come. And actually, I'm working on, my second book will be released this fall, third quarter. Mm-hmm. And it's called Quick Getting Stiffed which is all about collections and at subcontractor institute, I'll actually have the 50 state collection, the, the rules for each state on how to do collections. Oh, uh, wow. with, when I say collections, liens and bond claims. 
because that is a whole other area that a lot of contractors don't understand that the power that they have if they do that correctly. Yeah. And so what, what are the, give me some high levels on that in terms of so, what you um, every people. state has lien rights, right? And basically what a lien is is it gives you an interest or an, like an ownership interest in the property you're working on to the extent that you're owed money. And so if you think of like an owner owns a pie, which is 100% of the property, and you're owed some money, you can get a little sliver of that pie that's your interest that you can make sure that you're paid. But across all 50 states, what's required before you do that is notice. You got to give notice, like especially if you're a material supplier or a subcontractor, you got to give notice to the general contractor and you got to give notice to the owner. And the faster you can give that notice, the better across the board. If you know, you know, you've been in your business for, for a while, you can feel when a project's going south or there's an issue. And as soon as you feel that, you need to send the notice, regardless of what's required in your state, because states are across the board. Like some states, like California and Florida, require pre-lien notice within 20 to 30 days of working. You got to send a notice to the owner, say, "I'm here, make sure I get paid." But and then filing the actual lien, it's just such a huge, huge leverage point that I, I think is probably well. And there's lots of companies out there that do it wrong. And the one thing that I can say is that make sure you find someone that's familiar with your state stuff. Because if you do it wrong, it can actually be a bigger hurt. You can lose the money you're owed and potentially have to pay somebody else's attorney's fees. I have a client. I won't file a lien that I know is invalid. There's a lot of law firms that will, but I, I won't file one. I have a client that lied to me about when he did the work and he lets move forward on the lien. And we just got a judgment against him removing the lien and $100,000 in the other side's attorney's fees. So it is a great remedy, but with that great remedy comes great responsibility in doing it correctly. And like even one little tiny miss thing can throw you out. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to break that down and put all those requirements out there in plain English because there's some stuff out there now, but you'd have to be a lawyer to understand it. And most lawyers probably don't even understand it because it's, it's thick and it's technical. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned something there. You said a client lied to you and you, you issued a lien. How would you have done that differently? I don't know. I, I think I have to take my client's word, but I think he learned the lesson, right? Like in Texas, it, it's heavy on when the work was done is when the notice needs to be sent. And so he said he did the work the month after it was actually done. And so when the, when the case got filed and everything shook out, it became clear the work was actually done the month before, which means his lien was late. And so, and that's the thing is that you, you can't, the facts will come out is when the stuff was actually done. And when the materials were delivered or when the work was actually done and just be honest about it. And if you didn't get it this time, let's, let's nail it down and so you know how to do it right the next time. Because a lot of the stuff you can do in house, but the main thing is whether you're a material supplier, a subcontractor, having consistent collection strategy that's built in with the, the laws of your state on liens is priceless because then, then you would go from an unsecured creditor to a secured creditor because you have a lien on the property. There's very few industries that allow for that across the board, unless you're like buying a house or buying a car, then you can secure the amount they're owed with the actual asset, which is what you're allowed to do in this industry. But you got to do it right. Yeah, that was wonderful. You talked a bit about what's what's upcoming, which is your next book. But what what other things do you see coming up? Okay, so I launched on June 7th. We launched the um, Subcontractor Institute where you can upload your contract and have it reviewed. and we'll go through and tell you where all the warning signals are. And then it comes with a free consultation. So we're going to answer any questions you have. So that's coming in June. And then third quarter, I'm going to launch 
50 state liens, which is going to have streamed the streamlined in plain English rules to explain what you need to do to have a lien in your state. Uh, the forms will be available for purchase, or you can hire a subcontractor institute to do it. We'll have different price ranges and stuff like that. Right now at the subcontractor institute, there's a bunch of free stuff about about the dangers of signing a contract you don't understand and the specific provisions. There's 20 classes there that are based on the 20 chapters from the book of quit, don't, quit getting screwed. Yeah, very cool. All right. Is there anything that I didn't ask you, but you wanted to talk about? I know that, especially in the construction industry, that everybody gets busy and wrapped up in their business. But if you take this time to understand the contract that you're signing and, and negotiate it, not only you're helping your business, but you're helping every other contractor out there because if people will start pushing back, these things will, will, will change. And there's no reason that they can't be in plain English and everybody can understand what they're signing. And then just take the time to know your lien rights. It is priceless information. Well, thank you so much, Carolyn. It was great. I love your story. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Specified Growth Podcast today. I also want to thank the listeners who are working hard each day to change the world to make it a better place. Make sure you check out youtube.com forward slash Cats Talks for video of today's podcast. Hit the subscribe button for upcoming episodes, entrepreneurial tips, and more. See you over there. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.